the stories of Briscoe and Bradshaw. I would be Bradshaw. That would be your Chicken Shaw native, your Chicken Shaw Hall of Famer, Oklahoma's favorite son, Mr. Gerald Briscoe. And what a treat we have today. There's no other way to describe it. One of the greatest managers of all time, one of the greatest names of all time, one of the greatest characters of all time, and the son of WWE Hall of Famer Rufus R. Jones, Mr. Slick is with us. Slick, welcome to the show. Glad to be here. Thanks for having me, guys. Hey, Reverend, man, it's a pleasure to have you on here, man. Uh, you know, I, I really appreciate it. We, you and I have a funny story we're going to get to a little bit later on, you know, <laughs> about when you, your, your entry into the WWF. So John, yeah. the story a little bit earlier, he cracked up. Yeah. And, and, but uh, that, that was quite a night there, and you can refresh my memory on a couple of things that happened. But, man, welcome to the show. I know, uh, you know, you're, you've been busy, man. You're, you're separating your time between – your home in Texas and your, your love and your passion and your uh, occupation uh, as a preacher of church there in, in uh, Louisville, Kentucky. Tell us a little bit about your background. Now, how you got, how you became slick, how you got involved in the world of professional wrestling. And some of your great lineage, who I was a very dear friend of them. Just start us off there where I, I would assume Kansas City is your home area there where you called home or what? Okay. Uh, before I do that, do you mind if I tell you guys how much I respect and appreciate your careers, uh, both professional and personal? You know, y'all have always been nice to me. You've always been welcoming, pleasant, and kind and courteous, and I really appreciate it. Appreciate you having me on here. And I'm talking to two legends, so I'm just honored. <laughs> I'm just honored. <laughs> you, it, it doesn't get any bigger than Jerry Briscoe. And JBA also. I'm Thank just you. thrilled to be here tonight. Well, let, let me tell you. Can I tell you first how I got the name Slick? Oh, please. Okay. I was working for Joe Blanchett in uh, San Antonio. Um, and so I, I think it was uh, Texas All-Star Wrestling was the name of the promotion. And the booker was uh, Colonel Buck Robley. So when I went in there, I was using a different name that I had gotten from a movie. I think that movie was Uptown Saturday Night. I think it was. And I had gotten the name Silky Slim. <laughs> so when I got there and I did my promos and all that we do as managers, Buck Robley was the booker. So he came to me. He said, I don't like Silky Slim. <laughs> he said, to me, you just slick. <laughs> well, that's how I got the name Slick. Well, from Colonel Buck Robley. Colonel Buck, man, what a character Colonel Buck was too. For those who don't know, Buck was one of those Southern guys, one of those Southern geniuses when it came to this business. The, the guy was so sharp. He, he got his upbringing in there in Tennessee and learned a lot from Eddie Graham down here in Florida. Then, then for Bill Watson, went over and took the book over for Joe Blanche. But uh, uh, Buck Buck was quite a character, wasn't he? Did you have any matches with him or any interaction with him other than that? Uh, not not uh, just working, you know, just right. working uh, at, at the shows. Uh, I never like to travel with him or anything like yeah. that. But working the shows, he taught me a lot. I can tell you that. And uh, uh, I tell you, who really taught me a lot was Dory Funk Jr. Dory, yeah, huh? yeah. Because uh, and we'll get into that when we talk about how you and I met, yeah. but 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 you know I was like really green. I could just talk. That's uh -huh. what they liked about me is I could talk. You know I, I didn't really know too much uh, about the business, and so Bobby Heenan started teaching me, and Dora Funk started teaching me, 
Wow. And and I learned quickly. So, so where where, where, to, where did this education take place, Slick? Well, okay. Let me go back first. Uh, in Texas, also, but that didn't last long. So uh, the announcer there, his name was Rick Stewart. Do y'all remember him? No. I don't, John Mike. So. No. no. Yeah, Rick Stewart. Well, he went to Kansas City for Central States, Bob Geigel. And so uh, he told them, they said, we need somebody coming here that's different, you know, that hasn't been around, people don't know, but can that can perform. And so he said, well, I met this guy in Texas, and my dad was there working in Kansas City for the uh, Bob Geigel and Bob Brown. And so he said, he's Rufus' son. So they said, well, give him a call. So they called and asked me to come up. So then when I came up, you know, my dad was like, well, you know, you know, this business is hard. And, you know, like uh, I wanted you to do some other things, <laughs> you know, and, you know, and so. What what what, what did Rufus have in, in plan for? What, what was his dream for you, his son to be? Well, you know, I went, I, I, I have like eight degrees. A lot of people don't know that because the way they make me talk. The jazz <laughs> <those> stuff. <laughs> so. And uh, I, I'm an educator now. That's what I do. I teach school, and uh, so that he 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 just thought the business wouldn't be good because the way it takes you away from your family. Well, you guys know right. on the road and 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 so forth and so on. But then he said, "Well, you know, if that's what you want to do." So, and uh, and and uh, so I went started working for them, and then Bruiser Brody was real high on me, so he came, he came up with this idea that we would uh, do this uh, this uh, angle where I was managing Bulldog Bob Brown and Brody was, was coming in. And if uh, Bob Brown lost, then they would put me in a match in the ring. They, they'd have me in a cage outside the ring uh, throughout the match. And then when the match was over, if, if Bob Brown lost, which as you know, that's what's, what's going to happen, <laughs> that I would go in the ring with Brody. Well, I was terrified because I didn't right. work. You know, I didn't know anything about working. Well, I could work, and I was terrified to go to read this program. <laughs> but I tell you, he never hurt me though. He, he, you know, he was he liked me. That's all I can say. And so, uh, I went from there straight to WWF, and I was like green. I wasn't really ready, you know. And so that's when I met Dory. And you know, as you know, my dad worked for Dory's dad. Right. in the 60s and so much so they they were close so he said are you rufus boy you know so so he started teaching me things the mistakes right. i was making and then ernie Ladd did too so but bobby heenan was the one that really just started teaching me long term because dory didn't stay that long no dory was kind of in and out during that time but bobby yeah. bobby was the was a star too so he took you because of your kansas city background he took you under his wing right yep 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 Hey, Slick, isn't it amazing that the manager in the cage always gets somebody gets to him? You know, it's, always. It's 100%. <laughs> always. And 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 the angle was that Butch Reed would come out with baby powder and uh and throw it in uh in uh Frank's face, and then Stevie went off with me and Butch Reed stomping Frank. <laughs> so my family, because I was like this big. My family got a big kick out of that, you know. But I was acting like I knew what I was doing. <laughs> yeah. So, Slick, what was it? Where, did you grow up in Kansas City with your with your dad? There is that where no, you grew no, up? When no, did you I first start getting? 
I'm I grew up Texas. in Texas. Oh, God bless Texas. Yes, sir. Yeah. I grew <laughs> up in Texas. And see, I was real, I was very, very close, close friends with Gary Hart. Sure. And, and so I spent a lot of time talking to him, but I was <laughs> I never got a job from him because <laughs> at that time, at that time I was in school and I was working and doing well in my pastorate, you know. And so I wasn't even thinking about wrestling. But but I was close friends with him, you know, you know, of course through my dad, you know. Yeah. And was that was the, the plan all along was you to go into being in the clergy with or did you right. have an idea to go into wrestling also? What 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 was the idea when you were say 16, 17 of what were you gonna do? It, it it was to be in the clergy in, in the ministry. Right. I was I've never had aspirations of being in wrestling. It just happened. You know, a door opened. I'll tell you who's responsible for my career, and that's Butch Reed. Wow. Vince told me to my face he didn't want me. Uh, did he tell you why? Did he, did, he tell you, did he tell you why he didn't want you? Yeah, because I'm 6'4". Oh, okay. Yeah, oh, that's of course. true. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and for it. those that don't know that are, that are watching out there, you never have tall managers. You know, Colonel Parker yeah. had the same problem. You know, he's 6'6", so yeah. you dwarf the wrestler that you're with. Right. So he told me to my face, but Butch Reed said, I'm coming in with him or I don't want anybody else. And he just, he really pushed that on Vince. So Vince said, okay, you know, Vince had all these satellites, you know, he could tell what's going on everywhere. He said, let me see what he does. So after he heard me talk, so he he invited me up. That's when they went, went in Greenwich, remember? Right, uh, yeah. Yeah, in Greenwich. So he told me to my face, he said, "I'm." A, he said, Butch is so high on you. He said, then we got a call from Bruiser Brody. He wants to come in with you as his manager. So I'm thinking, well, these two top guys in the yeah. business, if they want yeah. you, perhaps you can do something. So yeah. he said, I'll tell you what you do, cut a promo. I said, right here, right now? He said, yes. And boy, I cut one. <laughs> <laughs> and I pretended that I was talking about Harley Race because that's who I was used to doing promos right. against in Kansas City. Uh -huh. So this was my punchline that really got me hired. Every time I look at you, I see the necessity for birth control pills. <laughs> <laughs> and if your That's mama good. had been found, she would have killed you when you was a baby. Said, yeah. yeah, and that's how I got hired. <laughs> wow. That's great. Right, you did, you did a promo on the interview for a job on the phone. That's awesome. <laughs> <laughs> no, I was at his office. Oh, yeah, that is all. Yeah, he okay. pulled me up to, to the office to do it. Yeah. Yeah. And when, when was the first time you started getting in the business? And did your dad not want you to get in the business at all? Well, he didn't just necessarily just say he didn't want me to, but he just said it was hard. It was a hard life. Yeah. He tried to stress it's a hard life and it's up and down. You know, you really don't have job security. Yeah. You really don't. Well, you probably experienced that, you know, with with your upbringing there, because your dad would had to had to leave leave town several times, and he lost several loser leave town matches. I had to guess, and had to go like to Charlotte down down here to Florida and other territories, right, to make a living. So, uh, you know, you're kind of you kind of you kind of learned the business, you're kind of tough on the family life right from the very beginning. Right from the beginning, and I I tell you this, even when when I was when I got into the business, 
it was really, really hard, you know, because, well, you know, uh, Jay, you do too, uh, 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 JB, that we'd be on the road sometimes two or three months at a time. Exactly, exactly. Really. I Sometimes I was so road weary or whatever you want to call it, road fatigue. Uh, and I just was like, I remember one time I snapped at Pat Patterson and I said to myself, what in the world are you doing? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And he came to me, he said, I know that's not you. That's not your character. You need some time off. We didn't give me but four days. We <laughs> really gave him yeah. a while. After he worked 120 days in a row, yeah. right? <laughs> yeah. So you you're like you're like a lot of second generation guys. I like to ask this question for. When did your dad or realize when did you realize your dad was a superstar like like Rufus was and so respected there in the Kansas City area? You know, I'm really embarrassed to say this. I didn't actually realize it until after I got into business. Really? Wow. Because so, so you didn't watch that much TV or what? What 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 was the deal? I don't know. I guess it was just like complacency because you you there and I guess you 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 just see your dad. You don't see the star. I guess that's Yeah, you're living in the moment. Yeah, right, right. Yeah. And but but the one thing that really made me appreciate him for the time the year that I spent in the business and that I spent associated with events concerning the business. I have never, ever heard anybody say anything negative or derogative about Rufus Jones. Well, I, I'm here to testify on that, too, brother. I, I've, I've traveled the roads with him. I was in a lot of places. I have know a lot of people that know uh, Rufus R. Jones and nothing but high respect for the man. He was, he was a man of the business. And, you know, during his time, you know, we all got to realize that it was still early, you know, when he started it. And segregation and all that stuff were going on. There's still severe racism when when your dad was going on. He had to fight through all that stuff, and he had to be above everybody else to survive in the business. And he was a survivor totally. Yes, yeah, he was. You know, I I mean, I, he I greatly admire him. Uh, I remember. <laughs> I don't know if I should tell this or not, but I remember when when I was leaving Kansas City to come to uh to New York. He carried me to the airport. So he stopped the car on the side of the road. And I'm like, okay, what is he doing? I got to, you know, get to the airport. So he turned around and he said, let me tell you something, boy. If you get up there, I'm not going to call the names that he called. He said, if you get up there and get with this person and that person and get on that dope, I'm going to get a baseball bat and beat the hell out of it. <laughs> <laughs> That's what he told me. That's what he told me on the way to the airport. He stopped the car. He was serious too. He was dead serious. Uh. <laughs> yeah. That that's a very knowledgeable good dad. Yeah. <laughs> uh, that's a great dad. A lot of us should have done that early. Tell me, tell me this. How was your connection with Gary Hart made? You were living in Dallas. Was your dad working for Fritz at the time? You know, when he when he came here. His name was Buster Lord. Uh-huh. You remember that? Probably. Yeah, I remember Buster. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, Buster Lord. And 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 that didn't that didn't last long. Oh. But well, I put it to you like this, and, and you can kind of read between the lines. You know, my sisters and I have different mothers. So that's why I was in Texas. Uh-huh. Yeah, okay. <laughs> okay. All right. And, and was he working in Dallas at the time? Was it working for Fritz at the time or working in Amarillo for uh, Dory? Both. Yeah. Both. Yeah. 
Because he, he well, 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 actually, no, he started out in Amarillo. And then he came to Fritz. Yeah. Yeah. So in Amarillo, that's where you ran, ran across the door, and Dory started teaching you all about the business, and right? No, no, I ran into Dory in New York. And New York, when and down, down at WWF, right? Yeah. Okay, I'm sorry. I, I'll tell you what happened. You know, you know, they were watching the monitor, and back then, all I knew was cheap heat because I didn't get to work in Kansas. I only worked in Kansas City three months before I went to New York. Wow. So I didn't get to learn a lot, you know. So every time I got a chance, I'd do a cheap heat thing. Mm -hmm. So Doris said, come here, let me talk to you. He said, you don't have to hit anybody. You know, All you got to do is pull that stick back like you're going to hit him. And just stalk him and watch and see the people come up. You know, just things like that. He, he, he you know, just, you know, they teaching you that every time you do something it needs to mean something. Otherwise, it's. It, it's no reason to do it. That just gives you an idea of things that he taught me, you know, and uh, I really appreciate it to this yeah. day. <laughs> so you, you mentioned, go ahead, Jerry. You mentioned Bob Geigel and uh, Bulldog Bob Brown. They were in Kansas City. How did how did they how did you was that after after Gary got a hold of you in Dallas that you went up to uh, Bob and, and Bob Brown up in? Well, remember, I was telling you I was working for uh, Joe Blanchett. Right, yeah. But I was only doing television. I wasn't on the road. I was just doing television. And was Joe Blanchard your first pro wrestling job? Yes. Okay. Yes. So you were you still a pastor in the church at the time? And I was doing still a pastor in the church, yeah. And doing wrestling see, on the side. Yeah, see, I was living in Fort Worth. And I'd have to drive down to uh, San Antonio. And it cost me more in gas than I would oh. make. <laughs> you know. But but it was my start, and so that's when I met. That's when that announcer, TV announcer, Rick Stewart, the commentator. Uh, that's when he when he he started working for Kansas City, and they was they was looking for somebody fresh and somebody. He said, "I'm telling you, mm -hmm. I met Rufus's son down in Texas. He can really talk." Mm -hmm. And so and so that's when they brought me in Kansas City. But I wasn't there for three weeks before Butch and I went to New York. Yeah. Okay. You're in New York now. Let's uh, start. Okay. You're starting in New York. You hadn't made TV and you're, you're appearing in a show in Miami, Florida, and you were asked to leave the premises. You want to kind of fill in the, 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 the empty spots on that story. <laughs> it was my very first night. My very first night. I think the place was the night arena, wasn't it? Night, James Dale night arena. Yeah. yeah. Night arena. So I go in, so one of the agents there, who's a legend, his brother was world champion and legend, and he and his brother were world tag team champion. He walks up and say, get him out of here. <laughs> I say, what? But I'm, he didn't give me a chance to who I was. <laughs> get, 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 him, get him out of here. So they actually got me and was pushing, putting me back out the door. And so I say, get Pat Patterson. So when I said get Pat Patterson, I he I get he figured he had he asked to know something to say Pat Patterson. <laughs> so finally, uh the Pat Patterson came in and said, What are you doing? You you, you. <laughs> so yeah, Jerry was like, Man, I'm so sorry, man. I, I just didn't know. <laughs> I'm sorry. So so we we for it's been 35 years now. We still <laughs> we still every time Jerry sees me, he said, put him out. Put him out of here. Don't care where we are. Put him out. <laughs> Bro, What's the deal? Was 
Mr. Briscoe, uh, you've got this huge star that you brought into the WWF and you threw him out of the building. Well, I, I did. I hadn't seen any promotional pictures of the guy, you know, but here, here, here's kind of the, the fill in of the whole story there. We're in James L. Knight Center, as Slick said. That afternoon, it was they, you know, Arena's booked double shows and everything. They booked a boxing match with Mike Tyson. You remember who Mike was fighting that night? I don't remember who his mm -hmm. opponent, but, but you know, of course, all the wrestlers were going and was there early and watch, watched uh, watched the fight. So in turn, all the time, you know, time, you know how big a fan Tyson is. Tyson's a huge wrestling fan, so you know he he, he was he was he was really up so. He wasn't around. I think he would. He had finished the fight and went and got something to eat. We're going to come back. He came back later that night. But I had, I had hell. You know how, how WWE. You know how Vince is and everybody else is in those WWE or WWF dressing rooms at time. Man, they want everybody out. They don't care who now you are. So you know, I'm having trouble getting a lot of Tyson's people out because they're kind of hanging around wanting to, wanting to get into matches too. You know, and just felt like if they're part of the show, they wouldn't have to pay or anything. Hell, we would have let them in free anyway. So, but anyway, I was fighting my ass off getting rid of all these guys. They were all well dressed guys, really nice guys too. You know, the professionals. And they're slick in the slicks outfit, man. He looked great and everything. You know, he's dressed up. He looks just like just like one of those boxing guys. So I'm getting everybody out, and he's kind of. I'd asked him two or three times. He's kind of just easing towards the door, so I would get on and say on him all the time. It didn't move a little bit, but it would go all the way out. So finally, man, it's getting time for the guys to start coming in, clear the dressing room. So I go, I go, security, come here, come here. This guy's on the get him out here. But hey, sir, I, I, I'm, I'm with the, I'm with the show. Are you out sure? What you? I don't know. You know, I, I, he had been on TV as his first damn night in the territory, right? So yeah. help me out here, Slick. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> He's not going to help you out. You try to hey, throw hey, him out of the building. Hey, hey, JB, you said that this big star. But at that point, it was a star in the making. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> hey, hey, Reverend, I completely understand. My first uh, night in WWE, I came back working for Auto. I go to a pay per view in in Philadelphia, and Tony Garea throws me out of the dressing room. Oh, I, my I've, I've, flown, I've flown from Europe, and I get to the dressing room, and Tony goes, uh, "Who are you?" And I told him, and he goes. You're not on the card. He goes, you got to get out. And I said, well, no, I'm supposed to. And by the time I, next thing I do, I'm outside. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, well, see, that's, that's, how, well, that's how they were back then, man. They clear those dressing rooms out. There was nobody in there that didn't belong in there. Well, at least, man, I'm not unique. <laughs> that's right. That's right. Oh, yeah. 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 We have we have a kindred spirit uh, now concerning that. <laughs> Lake, right. I don't think you're the only one I had thrown out of the dressing room that I probably wouldn't. Well, we're up in Knoxville, Tennessee, and what what's a, what's that dirty dancing guy? David lives up in Knoxville. Him and his pal, uh, you know, I'm talking. He was in Roadhouse too. Patrick Swayze. Patrick Swayze. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you know, he's from Knoxville, and that Greer guy too's from Knoxville. So one night they show up backstage in Knoxville. I don't know who the hell they are. I'm not a dirty dancing fan. Yeah. You threw drunk. Patrick Swayze out uh, of the dressing room? The hell out what is here, wrong man. with you? They were dressed in old mountain clothes. They looked like hillbillies, man. So that's what it was on. Get out of here, man. So see, Slick, I'm, I'm not prejudiced, man. I'm sure yeah. everybody. <laughs> and, and speaking of. Uh, yeah. Watch that get Greer, David. He went on to be a big star, too, right? What, you know what I'm talking about? Yeah, both both of them, and they had the biggest movie in the world at the time. Yeah, 
Well, yeah, but I don't go. To, I didn't go to movies, but I still don't go. <laughs> so, Slick, I just had to tell you that just to, just to let you know, man. I was an equal opportunity thrower outer. <laughs> yeah, and, and see, you heard you heard Jerry just mentioned about not being prejudiced. See, for a long time, for months up there, I think that he thought that's the way I felt because he always was apologizing. I almost got tired of apologizing. <laughs> every time every time I work on the show that he was an agent, he said, Man, I, I'm just so sorry, man. I just I was like, man, leave it, let it go. I, I believe you. <laughs> I believe you. Please shut up. I believe you. <laughs> yeah, I, but but you 50, 50 I, I, years I, I, later, we got the story to talk about, man. There we go. <laughs> and he's still apologizing. Yeah. <laughs> he's still telling you about throwing Patrick Swayze out just to let you know that it wasn't personal. It wasn't yeah. personal. That's right. <laughs> well, next what, time like, I see you, I will have you thrown out. <laughs> okay. <laughs> you know, Slick, I, I grew up in the in obviously in the South, as did Jerry. My and my, my parents, you know, was a my dad was an ordained minister. And so, you know, the reason you could talk was all Southern Bible preachers could talk. I mean, they yep. were some of the they were some of the best. I've been to a million <laughs> freaking revivals and church services and stuff. You bring in a good Southern preacher, and they can talk off the cuff as yep. long as you want them to talk. And they make sense. They can do a rant. They can do whatever you want. I mean, it's just there's no better training and there's no better talkers than a good Southern Bible preacher. You know, it's a gift. I mean, because you take like me, for instance, and Jerry uh, uh, confirmed this. Vince would never give me a script. Never. Am I right, Jerry? You're right. Absolutely right. Other people get skipped. I yeah, mean, yeah. skip. Some get scripts. <laughs> but he would never give me a script. He would give me his concept. And he'd tell him, let him do it. And I would do it too, boy. I tell you, you know, that's 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 what kept me there. Because I was there seven years. Wow. And that's what kept me there because uh, I didn't have anything else to offer. <laughs> But I could talk. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's what you were there. You know for. what I? You know what I think? I think I think. Had I been like two sixty or two seventy, and I'm already tall, and could work, because I can work a little bit. I'm not great. I'm not. I'm not Jerry Briscoe and JBL. <laughs> <laughs> But I can work a little bit because the, don't you remember Jerry when when a, a big boss man got hurt and I had to yeah. work with Dusty? It went right, yeah, big. yeah, yeah. yeah. Like, well, man, you can throw punches and you can do, yeah. that, do that. I said, yes, I'm intelligent. And you're you're perfect for Dusty too, you know, with yeah. your stall that you were working at too. Yeah, and and so I just think if I had had the size, I probably could have been a star. So tell us that story about working with Dusty. I, I I know all about it, but tell tell us for those that are listening to it about working with Dusty because there's so many big as should be big Dusty fans out there. Well, if if you remember doing that angle, uh, Big Boss Man broke his ankle mm -hmm. and he couldn't work. So we would go to the ring and the, and show the people that he was you know his his ankle was broken. And then he couldn't work. And so we were going to have to forfeit the match. Well, Dusty would get the mic and say, no, 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 no. I came here to whoop somebody. And so since it can't be you, it's going to be you. And then I go into my scared person uh, routine. Da, 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 da. And Dusty turns his back. So when he does, 
I hit the ropes and come off the ropes and go up in there with a double axe, uh, uh, whatever you call it, a uh, double axe handle. You got it. Axe handle. You got it. <laughs> so, so, and, and you know, Dusty, he, he sells it, you know, and then, you know, I do this and do that. I get up and sling him in, shoot him in for clothesline. You know, I'm looking and then I'm kind of bragging, you know, doing my little jive soul bro strut and everything. Then I get up, I throw the punches. Bloom, bloom. Then I shoot him in and he reverses and he comes back. But he gives me the clothesline. He picks me up. He body slams me. And then Sapphire comes off the rope. Blam and splash him and dust the count. One, two, three. That was the finish. <laughs> That's great. <laughs> that is great. Yeah. The, play, the people had to be going nuts because Dusty. Oh, they were. They were popping. Fell over. They were popping. And she was like, I appreciate you letting me do that. Because, uh, uh, you know, people talking about, you know, they're talking about, you met that woman. <laughs> Wasn't she a wonderful lady, too, Sapphire? She added so much to Dusty, and they started getting along there, you know, right yeah. off the bat. And what a what a great combo they made, really. They were actually, people thought, you know, what, what's she doing with Dusty? Well, Dusty took it and made made her into what, what she became a star. And, and the way you guys played off each other during that was just awesome. But wasn't, wasn't Sapphire a wonderful person? Yeah, and I tell you what, I give Sherry Martell a lot of credit. Oh, yeah. You know, Sapphire, well, you know, she wasn't... <laughs> See, you know, she wasn't Moolah. No, she, she wasn't. Uh, you know, she she was a fan know. out of the out of the out of the street, basically. She, yeah, and Sherry really worked with her. And yeah. <laughs> I like that you put it so nice, Sherry. You know, she wasn't Moolah. You talk about working in the ring. Did anybody train you? You know, uh, I, I start picking it up, and so. Okay, this is what happened, which I wasn't going to bring it up. <laughs> <laughs> the first night I did the thing, I got hurt. And so when I went back to the back, I was telling them, I was, you know, I was hurt, you know. And uh, so Haku said, what happened? I said, I said uh, he knocked all the wind out of me. And uh, and I, I said, then when she, when she splashed, you know, I said, it really just, it just knocked all the wind out of me. He said, okay, well, you know, you got to arch your shoulders up. And come up, you know, so that was the first learning of how to do it, you know, of, of how to take bumps and whatnot. I, I almost got killed. But when you, you started learned all the job Blanchard, taking bumps. But when yeah. you started with Joe Blanchard and they went to Bob Gago, you were never trained to, to wrestle, right? Right, never. Uh -uh. So it was all on the fly. You're just picking up stuff by watching, right? Just by oh. watching, yeah. Wow. And I'm observant, you know, I'm observant. So, and, uh, and then I start asking questions too, because I start, I start, you know, asking Butch, I start asking boss man, one man gang, you know, everybody that I was managing, I start asking questions, you know, to, 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 uh, even Dusty, I start asking him, you know, what to do and how to do it to make it better. And by the end of, by the end of that tour, it was popping, wasn't it, Jerry? It was popping every night. Yeah, it was popping. Yeah, yeah it was popping every night. So I started thinking, you know, maybe if I could put on some weight. But back then, I couldn't. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah, none of us have problems putting on weight now. <laughs> <laughs> you know, uh, two years ago, I was wearing 306. Wow. And then I lost 61 pounds because I'm a diabetic, and the weight wasn't good for me at all. Right. And I lost sixty-one pounds. I, I had heard where you were you were pretty sick at that time too when you were up there. Really. I was. Well, wow. Yeah, yeah. I was. 
Yeah. But uh, thanks be unto God, I'm I'm much better now. Wow. I've got my A1C down to like 6'2". And uh, it was like a 12.3 at one time. Wow. That's really bad, you know. How'd you lose the weight? Sir? How did you lose the weight? I started drinking nothing but water. No tea, no lemonade, no soda. Eating salads. Eating only fish. uh, Baked chicken and turkey. That's it. No, no bacon, no, no pork, no, no other meat. Just, no, just nothing that. fun. <laughs> <laughs> you cut out everything that was fun. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Cause it was, it was a struggle. I tell you, there, there were no late water, water burger runs in, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, <laughs> no, 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 and no salt, and no salt. And he dropped sixty-one pounds. That's phenomenal. Sixty-one pounds. Yeah. Uh-huh. Isn't it oh, amazing? Isn't it amazing what water does to help to help yeah. you lose weight? And another thing, I was walking from six to nine miles a day. Sixty-nine miles a day. Six to nine. Six to nine. Wow. Yeah, yeah. Miles a day. Wow. Seven days a week. It's a lot of walking, especially down in Texas where it's so freaking hot. Our our yeah. Louisville could be too. I don't know where you were at the time. I I, I was up here in Louisville. Yeah. But you know, uh, the heat up here is nothing like Texas. Oh, Texas is so hot right now. I was just down there with my take, helping take care of my mother, and it is unbelievable. It was 110 degrees several days down there. I mean, just well, you, you saw how it was when we were down there for the yeah. bar. Oh, yeah, the day when we were that barge thing, and the day that I left uh, Texas, which was a week after I saw you in uh, at Bart's uh, uh, benefit program, it was 113. Oh. Good grief. Hey guys, let's let's bring that up, Bart. You guys both were were very gracious in your time. You went out a dear, very friend of ours, Black Bart. He, he battling cancer, and you guys went out to do a fundraiser. If that GoFundMe page is still up, let John. Why don't you give that a good plug while we got uh, we got uh, slick on the on sure. The line. You go to Black Bart. Uh, you go to GoFundMe. I'm not sure the exact link, but if you type that in the Google search, it'll take you to it. And there's only one. Uh, right. Bart set it up with either his daughter or his granddaughter set it up, and a hundred percent of the money is going directly to Bart's cancer treatments. You know, even though he has insurance. He's still paying about 600 bucks out of pocket every time he goes to chemo and he can't work because he's sick from the chemo. So apparently the news, and I say, apparently I talk to Bart all, all the time, fortunately, it's very good. Apparently he's getting out of the woods that they, they didn't give him much chance at all of living. And it looks like he is going to live and, and be maybe be even cancer free, but he still has about two months left to chemo. So he feels, he feels absolutely horrible all the time because that chemo is just, really ravaged his body you know we were there at the the benefit and i got there right after they got burnt off barred off the ground you know he he had, <laughs> he had fallen out at the at the benefit that literally they didn't know if really he needed to call an ambulance or what yeah yeah he had sugar had gotten down and he was having some wow. issues he got feeling better pretty soon but he had done a little too much from not having done anything being at the benefit and all the stimuli and stuff that was going on how did you slick how did you know bart did you work with him in Texas? Well, you know, do you remember? Do you remember Ivan Bulba? The Ivan the Terrible. Yes, Ivan yes. the Terrible. Okay. Yeah, John Shaw. Yeah, sure I do. do. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, John Shaw had a wrestling uh, school, and I went there, and that's where I met Bart. 
And and so uh, I'm trying to think who else came out of this school uh, that that made it. Uh, Outlaw Chuck West came out and uh, um, Sal Alvarez and uh, Chico Torres. You remember him, Chico Torres? I don't remember them. Yeah. But anyway, Bart was the, the biggest name. He and I, I guess, are the biggest names that came out. Uh, and, and that's how I met Bart. Yeah. So when did you go to the school with Bart? Were you going to the school? Were you helping with the school? When, when was this? Well, I started going to that school probably in 81. But nothing ever became of it. I didn't even stick with it. I, you know, I, I was too small. Them bumps. <laughs> was that when you were in Dallas with your dad? Yeah, no, I was in Dallas. I was a grown man. I had a family and everything. I had my church. You know, you know, even when I was uh, slick, I had a church. I was a pastor of a church. What did your church think about your professional wrestling? Well, <laughs> <laughs> they knew me, and so I never just smartened them up. But they kind of figured out, you know. It, 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 I tell you an illustration I made when one when, when one of my parishioners questioned me about about the um, whether it was ethical or not. I pulled my driver's license out. I said, "Show me what you see there." They 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 read my name out. I said, "Do you see slick any place on my driver's license?" Oh no. So slick is a character. Let's leave it at that. <laughs> that's that's how I, that's what I see. <laughs> that's not my name. So it's a character. Let's leave it at that. And you know, slick. Like I never understood that with people. You know that they, they associate television with characters, but they don't always associate wrestling with characters. You know, yeah. and they know that it's a work. They know that it's yeah. scripted. But for some reason, they want to take the conflate the two. They want to take the character off television and go, "Why would you do that? Well, exactly. Why would you do any of it? You're a character." John, John, you you grew up you grew up with in in that environment like Slick. You know, he was a preacher. Your dad was 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 one of those Southern preachers out of Texas, man. Uh, Hell sown and brimstone fire. <laughs> how how did his parishioners see you when you you became a professional wrestler? My dad was very well liked uh, by the church. Now he was a banker most of his life, but he was also a preacher. In his last twenty years, he was full time preacher, but he always preached on the weekends. So he, there was. <clears throat> times he was a, a banker where he made most of his uh, living and then he preached for free on the weekends and after he retired he went to, into full-time preaching when he was like 16 years old he was an ordained minister so he was going in the clergy but he didn't have the money to go to you know the schools and stuff so he got into banking because you know he didn't didn't grow up with with very much in, in Kearns, texas east texas but they were they were they they enjoyed it i mean they i was a bad guy you know yeah. i was a bad guy on television and literally, I yeah, did, but you were doing some evil things, brother. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Now during the Attitude Era, I got yeah. some, I got some looks. Like uh, yeah. I'm not sure that you know. And and yeah. Dad didn't really want to watch it during the Attitude yeah. Era. He didn't yeah. really, he didn't like the language and the booze and all that stuff <laughs> yeah. that, that went on with it. You know, and I would come home. I said, Dad, I'm playing a character, just playing yeah. on you know, television, and Dad yeah. was fine with it. It, you know, they dad always wished me the very best. Dad never had any problem, neither did mom, with, with the wrestling. Yeah. But, you, you know, it wasn't something that he would say, hey, my boy's on Monday night with <laughs> – because people would turn on during the Attitude Era. 
And yeah, there's not Monday Night Football. <laughs> Our shows were wild back then. Yeah, they were. <laughs> and I was one of them. <laughs> I had uh, one of my parishioners ask me one time, well, why do you have to be the bad guy? <laughs> so here I am, the pastor, the person of a righteous man. And so I answered, he said, why do you have to be the bad guy? I say, because I'm good at it. <laughs> yeah, right. there you go. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> You're good at being the bad guy pastor. <laughs> yeah. But, you know, Slick, I've never understood. I mean, people didn't get on to Anthony Hopkins and say, you know, you are you shouldn't be a Hannibal. Yeah. You shouldn't be a, a, a cannibal, a cannibal. Movie and eat people. Because yeah. they know it was a movie. But, yeah, yeah, you're you're they know you. They You're the pastor of their church. But yet somebody comes up and goes, why are you going to be the bad guy? It's a well, character. Then, okay, you can be out of the restaurant, right? And so people will come in and see you to come up. They say, well, you're nothing like you are on television. <laughs> yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah. You, think, you think I walk around and say, hey, brother, I'll tell you. <laughs> right. Unbelievable. Yeah. Slick, how was Boss, man? I got to work with Boss so many times, and I love Boss. I I tell you a funny story one time, and I know you'll you'll understand. Boss tells me one time we're working a match, and and we were in the Ministry of Darkness together. Then I worked against uh, Boss Man and all this stuff. So I had a lot of matches, a lot of interactions with Boss Man. And Boss says, I think I could tie myself upside down in the ropes. And I said, you what? He goes, shoot me in. I'm going to tie myself upside down in the ropes. I said, Okay, so I shot him in, and he he somehow wrapped himself upside down. His feet are straight up, and his head's hit, touching the mat. And he he goes, "I did it! I did it!" <laughs> I said, so, "What now?" He goes, "I can't get out." <laughs> I said, well, I said, well, "I'm not helping." He goes, "Come on, help me!" <laughs> so well, the referee, I got well. the referee over where the referee wouldn't help me. Literally, he was there for about a minute. He kind of. But if that was boss. Boss was always doing something funny. Well, guys, don't get don't get mad at me. But I'm gonna tell you about boss man. He was in the right place at the right time, and it really worked for him. Because the truth of the matter was, he was kind of clumsy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, and I, you know how you act like you're doing, you be laughing, Bobby. <laughs> and I remember one time Hulk said. If we weren't making so much money, I'll put a stop to this because you're killing me every night. <laughs> and, and when he took those handcuffs, he's so clumsy. Instead of the handcuffs going up under Hook's neck, it went right in the mouth. He kicked <laughs> Hook was hot too at him about it. Uh, and, and I remember that this thing, but he would just he'd be he tripped in the ring. You, you, you see, he, he, he was a great guy, but he just was clumsy and it was just funny. But you know, his clumsiness was actually what helped him get over them. You know, like for instance, my dad, you know, I have a list. You probably picked up on it tonight. I have a list. My father had one that was really yeah. And I sometimes I couldn't understand anything he was saying. But that's what got him over. The people loved to hear him talk, you know. Yeah. I mean, uh, with, uh, along with his skills, but they loved him to move it on. You know. Yeah. One time where Boss was in the ring with me and uh, Ron Simmons, you know, me and Ron were tag partners for years and years. And uh, mm -hmm. we're holding Ken Shamrock, who had just come in. He'd won the UFC, you know, the, 
the toughest guy on the planet. And we're holding him, and Boss goes to hit him with his nightstick. And you're right about Boss being clumsy. He busted <laughs> Kim's mouth wide open. Blood goes everywhere. And all of a sudden, we got the UFC champion, and he's Ooh. mad. And he's <laughs> really mad. And Ron leans down with that deep uh, James Earl Jones voice and goes, that was Boss. <laughs> just to make sure <laughs> just to make sure and kid kid started laughing he'd been hit a million times and ball start loves laughing too he's a little scared but he's laughing <laughs> yeah he's a little scared all right yeah. Balls would, <laughs> and his head would waggle <laughs> and uh i'll tell you something else too when he cut a promo he spit just spit everywhere just spit boy and i'll be like say it don't spray it <laughs> <laughs> was boss your first guy in wwe wwf then uh, to, to manage no actually yeah it's kind of weird it was actually iron Sheik and uh and uh nikolai nikolai yeah. yeah but it was supposed to have been butch reed yeah, what happened to that? I was to back up a little. What happened with the butchery? Because he's the one that really I talked Vince into bringing you in, right? Well, what happened when Bob Geiger found out I was going to Vince, his feelings were hurt. <laughs> and he fired me right on the spot. So I called Vince and I said, Well, he fired me. He said, Well, that doesn't make any sense. He should have let you finish out your bookings. He said, Okay, I, I have an idea. And so then and that's when they called me back and said, you, we're going to bring you on up early. And uh, and you just managed Volkov and uh, and uh, and the Sheik. That ought to be interesting. An African-American, a Russian, and an Iranian. Yeah. <laughs> so, and it was interesting. <laughs> yeah. Because, you know, Freddie Blassie was, his knees were gone and he could hardly get around, barely get around. And so that they came up with the angle of me buying half interest into his uh into his uh, uh stable. And that's how that started. That's it. And so then it was Butch. Yeah. So what, what happened with Butch? Group, what a great legendary group to work with, especially yeah. Freddie Blassie. That that's yeah. wow. That's awesome. Oh man, my head was up in the air, brother. You it know, had I, to be. You came in and just in right at the peak of the of all those great managers getting ready to be phased out too. But Bobby Heenan was in there. Yeah. Uh, 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 Blassie, Hart. Gary Hart, Blassie, all all the great great managers. You had if you if you out of mind you what you do you're probably sitting there studying each and every one of those guys. You know, finding out what made them great and then incorporating that into your 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 routine, right? Yeah, really, I try to pattern myself after Gary Hart. Yeah, that's a good one to pattern yourself. Hey, Mr. Like, I'm gonna cut you off. He, I, I got to room with Gary a couple of times when I was in Dallas, and it was just a thrill because I, I grew up watching Gary on TV, so I, he, I idolized him, and it was just, I, I loved every second being around Gary Hart. He was such a, to me, he was a very kind man, but he yeah. knew so much about wrestling. I mean, just he would tell you stuff, and all of a sudden the light bulb would come on. Every time he'd say a sentence. You know, it would it would smarten you up to something. I just thought the world of Gary Hart as far as his wrestling brain. He was a walking encyclopedia. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, I, I did too. I, I admired him. And and I and, and when I came in, Vince said, Well, who do you pattern yourself after? I said, Gary Hart. Uh -huh. And uh this other guy that was there, uh, his last name was Barnett. Uh, 
He was in the office. I, I Jim, Jim, Jim Barnett. Barnett, yeah, that's right. And he said, "Oh, Gary Hart, that's 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 uh, that's admirable because it's that's not a, a finer manager in the business than Gary Hart." I said to myself, "You're right." Now, I would never, ever dream of taking anything away from Bobby Heenan. Yeah. Bobby Heenan was my friend, my mentor. Bobby Heenan was kind to me. He even stopped me from getting beat up by Billy Jack Haynes. <laughs> <laughs> what happened there? <laughs> well, Billy Jack kept harassing me all the time, but he was really was playing. But, you know, I'm not, you know, I'm just not going, I'm not, you know, I mean, I'm not tough, but, you know, I ain't, I ain't, you know, I can't say what I want to say. I ain't no, you know, I ain't no, what it start with a P either. <laughs> so I stood up to him. So Billy Jack starts walking up on me. You know how Billy Jack beat up a lot of people. A lot and of Bobby people. Hina, <laughs> yeah, Bobby Hina got in the middle of it. But come to find out, Billy Jack was walking up on me to hug me. <laughs> so I was so happy. That it was a hug because by then I had huh. to myself. <laughs> but getting back to what I was saying, I would never ever take anything away from Bobby Heenan. But you, you, you kind of gotta say Gary Hart is 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 just underrated with people, uh, because the WWE was so worldwide and right. maybe yeah. people just regionally knew Gary Hart. Yeah. But Gary Hart was the bomb, in my opinion. Well, I think you got three guys right here on this podcast. Will agree that Gary Hart was probably the greatest manager of all time. I know I I think he was. Yeah, I do yeah, too. I do too. I hate to see it, but I'm you know hate to go against Bobby too. But man, well, I do, I do too. I do too. But you know, Gary, <laughs> Gary, Gary went so many places. I mean, Australia. He was the number one He getting heel down there. He was with all the great heels down there. Every territory that he went to, you know, Florida, Texas, you know, Georgia, Carolinas, he, he was the number one guy at each and every one of them. And Gary could get in the ring and work a little bit too, you know. Yeah. He, he knew just enough to get that good heat and get a baby face over and get him over the right way. So, And, you know, nobody was finer in telling a story you know, about the, about his guy and not taking, not taking the spotlight, but building his guy while he's telling that story. Gary, that was Gary's asset, I think right there. Yeah. You know, that was what Bruiser Bob Sweet 10. You remember him? Yeah, I do for sure. Bob, do you JB? No, sir. I never met. I know exactly who you're talking about, but I, I yeah. don't think I ever got to meet him. When I, when I first started working with Joe Blanchett, all I would do was cut, cut my opponents up. So, uh, uh, he pulled me off to the side and he said, you know, it's not, it's none of my business, but I thank so much of your father that I just want to tell you, you, you got to stop doing your promos with, with, with tearing the guy up that you, that you, your guy's going against. Otherwise they didn't beat anybody. You, you, you got to build them up, but just make your guy better. And, and, and so that was my first psychology lesson about doing promos. And if you notice all my promos, you know, Hulk Hogan, you you everything that you said you were. I, I have to give it to you. You are a formidable opponent. I've never seen anything like you. I underestimated you. But what I'm trying to tell you is the 747, that was gang, right? He's just that much better. And he's going to beat you. And when he beats you, the whole world will applaud because they know that to beat a man, you got to beat the man. You know, oh. stuff like that. That's, you know, what I would do. 
And uh, I learned that from Bob Sweetcam. I sure did. Yeah. Yeah, there's Uh, such an art to that promo. You know, it's just, and you mentioned Bobby Heenan. Bobby Heenan was one of the best. I I, I had a joke, but I was also serious about it. When they opened (laughs) up the WWE Network, I went to Vince. I said, hey, Vince, I really would appreciate if you don't put anything up with Bobby Heenan and Roddy Piper on it, because they're going to realize how bad we are today. (laughs) 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 Because Bobby was good. So was Piper. Yeah, and uh, and Jesse Ventura was a heck of a commentator too. Oh, he, he was how to, he, he knew how to get the heels over. Yeah, yeah. Jesse was a great, great comment. Very under. I don't know about underrated because people rated pretty high, but oh, man, yeah. he was yeah. so good. Yeah, yeah, and he was a good voice for the heels. You know, one time Farrah Fawcett was on was on was on the show. I don't know if it was Saturday Night Main Event or what it was. And some way, somehow, I don't know how it happened. A a little. Uh, slob or something came down the side of her. And so Bobby Hina said, oh, look, it's a leaky faucet. <laughs> <laughs> oh, <man. laughs> Bobby- One of the greatest heel commentators ever was when Bobby Heenan said, look at that. Marty Jannetty tried to jump out of the window to get away from Shawn Michaels. When Shawn <laughs> kicked him through the window. <laughs> Yeah, on that barbershop deal. Yeah, when he when That's he came right. Yeah. And Bobby 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 uh, Heenan said, look at that. Marty Jenny jumped out of the window trying to get away from Shawn Michaels. <laughs> it was so good. Hey, I, I gotta ask you about one man gang. Because one man gang was a big, tough, it, well, he's a big tough guy up there too, but he portrayed uh-huh. a big tough guy down in Louisiana and really got over as as that big, tough one-man gang with Akbar and so many different uh, guys down there in Watts Territory in Texas. And then he comes up there as Akeem. How did all that happen, and how did it work with you? Did, did he like it? Did you like it? Well, I'm the one that started it. Hmm. See, Vince was off into bodies. And so uh, he was getting ready to let uh, George go. And George and I, just like that to this day, I mean, we talk on the phone two or three times a week. So I said, man, I got to do something to help him, you know. Because George kind of angered uh, Vince right in the middle of the run with Hogan. He asked for some time off. Do you remember that, Jerry? Yep, I sure do. He asked for time off. And that just killed everything. After that, they they didn't, they just never pushed him, you know. And we talk about that now. And he says, man, if, if I had it to do all over again, I would never have done that, you know. And But, you know, you live and learn, but it was costly. So, uh, but George and I are best of friends. He was He's just a, a, a terrific uh, performer. I think he's one of the best big men in, 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 uh, in all of professional wrestling. Uh, and he's a... He's a good man, you know. He's just a good family guy, you know. And we got along perfect because neither one of us drank. We didn't do drugs. We didn't do any of that type of a thing. The boss man didn't ride with us. He rode with other people. <laughs> I'm not saying. I'm not saying that he drank a drug, you know. Either I'm not saying that. I'm just saying. I'll he say he did. <laughs> he didn't ride with us at all. And uh, I tell you a story if you want to hear it. You know, yes, we do. <laughs> Rude was a tough guy too. Now, right, very much. So he asked to ride with um, Gang and I one night. Well, you know, he he had that cigarette, you know. 
So we said, man, you know, we don't we don't do that. You know, you, you can't do that in here, man. You just, you know. But man, he was he he was just he was he was upset. You know, it's like, man, but I'm paying my part of the for the car. You know, I'm, you know I said, well, well, you know, we just you know we just don't do that. That's not what we do. You know, we you know, blah, 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 blah. and he's getting hotter and hotter and hotter. So when we get to the to the to the to the arena, you know, he's he's pretty steamed up. Now I know Gang can handle himself, but I'm thinking about what about Poe me? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so 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 I go to Rick and I say, Rick, I, I came up with a great idea, man, because you know we didn't tell you. We you know we should have told you ahead of time. With your part of the car, I'm gonna pay for it myself. He said, I think that'll make me feel better. <laughs> <laughs> so, so he was a I tough, paid. cheap guy. Yeah. So <laughs> I, I paid for his part of the car, right? So a couple of nights, you know, a couple of nights into the tour, he came to me and said, Slick, come here, I'm going to talk to you. I'm like, you know, you pulling me off to the side. <laughs> you, know? you know, I'm like, hey, man, you know, I really don't want to go, you know. So he put, he, he said, he gave me the money back. He said, man, I, you know, I don't do you like that, man. He said, you were right, you know, y'all, y'all were right, you know, uh, you know, but he never rode with us again, you know. <laughs> so that's, 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 that was the story. I, I, I was paying not to get whooped. <laughs> <laughs> so tell us about Akeem. Akeem came in and wanted, wanted, uh, he asked for Tom off. But how, how, what was the transition? How was that like? Oh, I got lost in my story, didn't I? Yeah, that's okay. We got that's a good okay. one out of you. That Rick Reed story was awesome. They they were going to let him go. And uh, I went to... Uh, George and I said, George, I've got an idea. Let's frizz your hair up and say you've seen the light. You've been around me so long. You've been eating collard greens and hot water cornbread, <laughs> neck bones, and you love it. That sounds like my lunch today. Yeah, if, if, if neck bones did that to you, I'd have frizzy yeah, yeah. hair right now. <laughs> I said, I'd have hair. Yeah. yeah. I, I say, do you mind if I go to Vince with it? He said, man, no, man, I, I don't mind. So I went to Vince. And Vince said, yes, I love it. So Vince calls George and he said, George, I don't have a place in my company for the one-man game. But I do have a place for a king. Do you want it? George said, well, yes, of course. You know? yeah. So that's how a king came to be. And did did right away did George get into it? Did he like it? I mean, did how, how did that work? Because that is such a contrast to go Jerry, from legitimate Jerry. big tough guy to this dancing guy. Yeah. Jerry, do you remember the first night we debuted and Vince bought all of the guys from the back, agents and everybody, and the king was dancing and fooling around, and it was so awkward because he couldn't dance. Yeah. And when we finally made it back to the dressing room, everybody was applauding, standing there cutting. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> and he was horrible at dancing. Yeah. But, and, it was and terrible, it got, yeah. Yeah, it got over because it was so horrible. And people just laughed. He just looked so goofy. <laughs> I don't want to call my friend goofy. That, that, that's the thing. He just looked so goofy he doing it. It got it. over. People loved it, man. Yeah. Hey, look at that a big white guy can't dance like that. When he, had, when, he had, when he had his hands out like this doing the dance, that was yeah. the absolute worst. It was so, so bad. Did you, did you help him? Did you train him any in that dance? No, I, I, no I, I you did. You know, you know, you know the old saying: if if it's not broke, don't fix it. Yeah. 
And when well, I, there were definitely some brother moves in there. I know he don't have any brother in him. So. Well, if they were, I missed them. I <laughs> Maybe they weren't that brother there. <laughs> I missed them. They, they Maybe were, they were part brother. <laughs> they, they, were, they were Tom Jones' uh, uh, brother. Uh, Tom Jones' brother. Not Iceman, King Parson. <laughs> not for sure not Iceman. <laughs> But 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 he 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 you know I'm gonna ask y'all y'all's opinion just for the sake of conversation. You, you know we did the heel gimmick with that, right? Mm -hmm. Don't don't you think it would have went over better as a baby face? You know, nowadays that, that he'd be the biggest baby face out there if that happened nowadays, I think something like a character like that. What do you think, John? Hundred percent. Hundred percent baby face. Hundred percent. I always thought that. And, and I'll tell you something that's kind that's kind of similar, but me and Ron were, I guess we're heels. I can't remember if we were heels at the time or the why. I can't remember. They wanted us to dance, and it was a rib on us, is what it was. It was a rib oh, on me. Yeah, I remember that too. <laughs> so they they didn't think we'd do it. We don't care. So we went out there and we're dancing our we're dancing our heart out. It was horrible, absolutely horrible. And finally, they realized we're not going to quit dancing. So they go, just go to commercial. So they went to commercial. <laughs> <laughs> we don't care. We know we're getting ribbed. We're going to make yeah. fools of ourselves. That's fine. Ron was doing it. I was doing it. We're doing all this crazy <laughs> stuff. And the fans were popping on it because we were so freaking. There's here are these two big guys that they never see do anything like this. Yeah. We're so bad. I, I, yeah. I remember I remember laughing at you. <laughs> <laughs> I, I remember when Ron came back to the back. I said, Ron, I'm kind of doubting your heritage now. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. Yeah. Ron's stiff, man. He's stiff. I, for the dear brother, he's stiff. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. What you're saying is you got no rhythm to him, huh? Yeah. Yeah. You know, uh, just to just just to talk about something, I had two misfortunes in the in the WWF. The first one was with Game. Now, Jerry and Jay, you know, everybody's goal was to make a run with Hogan. Right. That was instant money. Every night. Sold out. Instant. I'm fortunate enough that Vince trusted me to work with Gang and uh, against Hogan. We scheduled to make three rounds, right, all across the country. And I be dog <laughs> if Gang doesn't ask for time off. <laughs> so. Did he tell you he was going to do it? No. No. Because wow. I would have been begging. Yeah. You know, gang and I play with each other, right? And I called him Big Dummy all the time. You know, like Fred <laughs> Sanford did Lamont. Oh, yeah. greatest Lamont, show yeah. ever. <laughs> yeah. You so, big dummy. And so, boy, if I had known that he was going to Vince, I said, you big dummy. You, <laughs> you messing with my money, too. Yeah, yeah. But he didn't have any idea they was going to cut it. You know, had he, I guess, but he didn't think it through, you know. But you can't ask Vince. He didn't even talk to Hogan about it because I know Terry would have nixed it right off the bud because that was in some money. You guys were hot, man. Yeah. Terry, Terry was in shock. Yeah. 
Everybody was. I was. Vince was. And so, but Jerry, you we know, we all were. We all were because, like you said, that taking money out of my pocket too. Man. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Not going right. Uh, and so, and, and and so, and the angle that we had worked to get it going was good. Everything was worked perfect. It was a sellout. We remember we even made set a record in Montreal. Right. Yeah, tennis record. Yeah, and I, I yeah. just couldn't believe he did it. So that was my first misfortune. My second was misfortune was they bought they bought uh, uh, Butch in to mimic Hogan, and dye his hair blonde. And he was supposed to become the Intercontinental Champion. That's what they bought him up there for. Again, I'd be dog if he didn't start missing shows. And then they lost confidence in it. And then that was the end of that. Wow. So that was one thing. That was one thing back then. If you missed a couple of shows, I mean, you missed one. You know, as much as we we're traveling, they kind of looked the other way. But if you missed, you missed a couple of them. Then you, then you're tagged, man, and, and rightfully so because you're you're hurting everybody on the card. And so one night we got ready to go out, right, Jerry? You should, you you were right there in the office, so you should you should certainly remember this. Butch had the two E's missing out of his jacket, and I had to put my hand. Oh Lord, have mercy! <laughs> I had to put my hand on his back to cover up. It was an R and a D. The two E's were missing. <laughs> and Vince threw a fit, say, "Much money as you're making, and you won't take the time to get your your costume ready for TV." And so when we went home on the break, they never they never came to him and told him he was fired. They just never brought him back. Yeah. They never wow. booked him again. Wow. Yeah. So then I missed money on that. Yeah. And Honky Tonk became the champion. And he lasted forever. Forever, yeah. Yeah. So those are my two big misfortunes. And because I I was able to get it back again, though, when Bossman came. Because we did three rounds. And then they did, they put uh, 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 Akeem and Bossman together uh, as the uh, Twin Towers. Right, yeah. That was was hot, man. That was good, too. You know, I, I was surprised they didn't make them champions. Me too. I, I was. Yeah, there were there was a lot of talk about making them champions, but uh, it was it was Nikolai and Sheik. They were they were so hot with that Iranian deal. I think at the time, right? Well, no. Uh, well, well, yeah, yeah. That, but uh-huh. but, but that was prior. Uh-huh. What happened? Remember, they didn't have confidence in game. Okay. Yeah. Oh, because he had asked off earlier. Yeah, that's that's what happened. That's why they didn't put the straps on. Reverend, this had to be a thrill for you. I mean, here you are, you're 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 preacher boy, young preacher man from from Texas. You know, just getting into business. All of a sudden, you're in the mix with Dusty Rhodes, who was an American hero, American dream, of course, and 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 the great Hulk Hogan, one of the greatest of all time ever, stepping. And here you you are opposing those two guys. You know, when early in your career. What 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 thoughts you must have had in your mind, man? This is wow. Why didn't my old man tell me about this? So that kind of feeling. Yeah. You know, I you know I'm a I'm a like a spiritual type person, and and my thought was I'm blessed, because uh. I'm billed as the first African American with international uh, n- uh, notoriety. Right. You know, uh, with, with the WWF. That that's to this day that's how I'm billed as the first African American. 
And so for a little small town guy from from Little Fort Worth, Texas, you know, and uh, and uh, and and to make it to Madison Square Garden, yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean. The spectrum. Yeah, I know what you mean. Yeah, <laughs> you know what I mean. Now that first time you walk into those buildings, I don't care how big of a star you were elsewhere. I mean, here you are walking into Madison Square Garden with all those banners flying. Same thing was a spectrum, and then the one that really got me thrilled every time I walked in was the old Boston Garden, you know, the um, old Boston like Garden. But yeah. you know what? They light you up in the Boston Garden, man. Oh, they were they? they light you up. But can I say this about walking in? JBL, catch my drift on this. You ready? Ready. You know what made me feel so good about going to Madison Square Garden? There wasn't no agent there telling them to put me out. <laughs> well, damn it! If I'd been working that night, I don't want to would have just for the thrill of it. <laughs> you know, slick that Madison Square Garden. I was the same way. I, of course, I didn't get thrown out by Mister Briscoe. I got thrown out by Tony Maria, so I got I still got thrown out. But when you walk in that Madison Square Garden, I'm sure the guys were still there then because they were there for me. And I was a few, a few years later. The same doctors who did the blood pressure for Ali and Frazier. We're still yeah. the same doctors, and you're yeah. sitting there going, "Man, this is yeah. awesome." I'm hearing uh, this saying this hallowed ground. You know, yeah. Bret Hart yeah. used to say, "It's not holy, but it's sacred." You know, that, that garden is something special. You know, uh, sometimes, I, and this is the type of feeling. Sometimes when I go do signings, the the the, the youngsters that's out there today, you know, like like I've had CM Punk and. And just everybody, everybody, that come to me and say, "I'm gonna take a picture with you. I'm gonna get a picture with you." Uh -huh. MVP, you know, all these people that were big stars. Because I don't care, and it made me feel like, you know, maybe I accomplished something in this business. Maybe I did a uh -huh. good job. Maybe people will remember me, you know. And uh, a lot of people say, "There, there ain't no maybe about it, Slick. You did. <laughs> you all this show, so bad you, you, you did." <laughs> well, thank you so much. Yeah. You, you just still have like a post uh, PTSD from Mr. Briscoe throwing you out of the Miami. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But I tell you, we've had a lot of fun with that, though, over the years. Yeah, we have. <laughs> we really have, you know. It's something that each time we see each other, no matter what kind of mood we're in or what, what today is going on, we could hit each other with that. And it still brings a smile to both of our faces. Yeah, because I just saw you back in uh, August. Yeah. In Charlotte. In Charlotte, the gathering, yeah. And see, somebody told me that you were there. Yeah. Said, Let me go find him. <laughs> I got to go, yeah, I got to be thrown out of this building. Yeah. And you left, you left, you left us, so I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so I went looking for you in Charlotte, and as soon as I saw you, the first thing you said was, throw him out. <laughs> <laughs> It's like, you know what's so cool about your, your part of your career and another thing where you and I have something in common was you were there during the Hogan era, you know, yeah. and so, and every, everybody that was alive back then watched the Hogan era, you know, they were all watched. It was a huge rating. WrestleMania had just started pay-per-view had just become mainstream. Well, I was there during the stone cold and rock era during the attitude era, they call it. You know, and because of that, as was Mr. Briscoe with Pat Patterson, you know, it just, it was a character on air. People remember that era because the ratings were so high. We were very lucky to have been there when the ratings, you know, you with, with Hogan, me and Mr. Briscoe with Stone Cold and the Rock and Undertaker and all the great characters, the Attitude Era, you know, to have been to, 
at our peak or part of our peak during the time when ratings were so high. People will right. always remember that no matter how long we live. That's right. That's right. And, and I'll tell you what I admire so much about Hogan. Hogan sold out everywhere he went. But he didn't have the backup that Stone Cold and The Rock and, 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 and others of that era had because they were smashing the beer. Uh, they had the women, you know what I mean? You know, uh, Sable and all of that. He made it off of saying prayers and eating your vitamins. You know what I mean? It, I mean, it, it wasn't, it didn't have a front, the, the props, I mean, uh, the props. So in my opinion, he probably is about the greatest uh, 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 drawer, ticket drawer of all time. Uh, I mean, that's not taking anything away. We know Stone Cold and those guys set records. But, you know, they had all the props, too, you know. Because, you know, when when I was with working with, when I first started working with Vince, you couldn't say a curse word. No. At all. No. <laughs> you couldn't. Do, you couldn't. It sure didn't have no ladies out there, you know. <laughs> You know, you know, you know what I'm talking about. So, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You know, you know, Slick, the hardest uh, champion of all time was John Cena because he had to follow Stone Cold and Rock, and they went from that attitude era where you could drink beer and, and women were, you know, very scantily clad. Yeah, that's so, yeah, that's a good way to put it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And you could say literally whatever you wanted. <laughs> yeah. a, PG, a PG era. And all of a sudden, everything changed for John Cena. I mean, he had the hardest. I, I just think Cena has done incredible stuff, especially considered the the cards that were handed him. He didn't have a loaded deck. I agree, John. And John grew up in that attitude era. That's the era that he, you know, that he that cemented him and and being a wrestling fan. So that that was his knowledge to go on. All of a sudden. The cards are shuffled on him, and he got to be the, the straight yeah. ace guy, this PG guy. Just you know, and I, that wasn't John. You know, we remember, the, you know, the scenonomics and like where he's rapping and stuff like that. You know, so John, John, you're right. John had to change change the script as he was going. And 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 let me do this by making a comparison, which I probably shouldn't do. Um, if you remember, when Hook went off the scene, Ultimate Warrior picked up the mail right and and, and and he was great but he wasn't john cena he didn't he didn't he didn't pack out those arenas night after night you know you know, you know what i'm saying it, it's it's hard to follow somebody that 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 that, that has, uh, has had that type of uh, appeal to the to the people so when you bring up john cena you couldn't have brought up a greater or better name because everybody couldn't do it that's right. Very few people can do it. You know, it's hard, so hard following a, a you know, legend. They always say wrestling is cyclical. I don't think it necessarily has to be. It's just because when, when a guy like Hogan gets older and starts to retire, you can't replace him. I mean, it takes a long time to find, and there's never the next Hogan. It's somebody else. You know, it's a different, you know, you, San Martino wasn't like Hogan. Hogan wasn't like Stone Cold. Stone Cold wasn't like The Rock. Rock wasn't like Cena. Cena wasn't like Roman Reigns. Everybody's that made it big was different, but it, it takes a while to find yeah. that new massive star because there aren't many of them. No. Well, you know, when I came up there, let's just say like uh, where managers are concerned, man, you know, it was, it was, it was intimidating because you had Bobby Heenan, Johnny V, Mr. Fuji, Oliver Humperdinck, uh, uh, 
Freddie Blassie. Uh, uh, Jimmy Hart. Jimmy Hart, yeah. Don't Jimmy forget Hart. Jimmy. Yeah, yeah Freddie Blassie. Yeah. Now, how, what bigger name do you have than those six? Right. Here I am coming in. Really don't know what all, all Hall of Famers right there. Yeah, 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 yeah. And you had to be different. I mean, each one of you had to be different. So you each one of them had your own character there. Yep. Well, I, I I tried to learn from each one of them. I hate it. Yeah. How how long in your career before your dad passed dad passed away? Was 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 Rufus R. Jones? Does he did he see you at WWE? What did he think about you? And he, he didn't want you to get in the business, and all of a sudden you become this global massive star. Was he there for that? Uh, was he yeah. still alive during that time? Yes. Yeah, see, he 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 died in '93. So he got to and, see your big run. Yeah, and my last year was '93. Mm -hmm. When when he died, it, it, my last uh, month <clears throat> with WWF uh, was August of '93, and he passed in November, November 13th of '93. Uh, yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. What did your dad think about it? He loved it because he was so proud because I never got into the drugs and never got into those things that well, he said he'd beat the hell out of you. Yeah, that's <laughs> right. Yeah. <laughs> so so uh, you know uh, I stayed on the straight and narrow. <laughs> yeah. So did he it, ever talk to you about the WWE or anything? I mean, your dad, I was always one of like second generation wrestlers because your dad was such a famous big name was, and people thought so highly of him. What'd your dad say to you about you being in there? Or was it just kind of like, come I'm, home I'm gonna, and you forget about the business? Well, I'm going to tell you what hunts me to this day. Uh, he asked me to, to speak to Vince, you know, about bringing him in. But by then he was up in age, you know, and I asked Vince. Vince never gave me an answer. So the thing that haunts me to this day is, is I just hope that he never thought that I didn't try to get him in because I did. Right. Yeah, I did. Chris Adams, he, he asked me to try to help get him in. I did. While Bill Irwin. And I did. But it just, it never just, I didn't have that kind of pull, you know. Right, Somebody right. got me in. I don't know why. <laughs> <laughs> well, Black Bart asked me one time. Not He didn't ask me. Fair enough. He didn't ask me. I tried to get Bart in uh, one time to WWE. And uh, I asked Bart, I said, you got any heat with Vince? He goes, no, no, I don't think so. <laughs> Earl Hebner pulled me aside and said, you know, Bart's in a lawsuit against Vince. <laughs> but get me in yeah. that, that yeah. always requires it. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's one good way to make sure you don't get in. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, Vince, that's one thing Vince never forgets who, who sued him. Yeah. yeah. Right. He, he, he got a memory like hell when it comes to that. I, I know that for a fact. <laughs> Yeah. So slick when we decided to get out, did you just after '93 was that just so you decided to get out, and then then you decided I want to be a full time preacher? Or did you? When was the moment that came to you that thought you know what I'm just I want to do what I originally was talking about doing, and that is using my eight degrees and and teaching school and and being a minister to people. 
Well, now you know I'm gonna tell the truth, right? I hope so. Yeah, I didn't get out. I was put out. <laughs> <laughs> well, that, tell us that. Tell us that. Story. That usually happens to all of us. Yeah. <laughs> no, what happened? My contract was up, and now I worked until my contract was up, and when my contract was up, <clears throat> he never. They never renewed it. And so that was the end of the stick era. Well, was there any WCW going at the time or was it all, all WWE? You know, and this is the truth. I had had that great run. We've talked about it tonight with Dusty, right? Right. But whenever I would call his office, they would never let me talk to him and he never returned my calls. Mm -hmm. So I never got a run in WCW. Mm -hmm. Then, uh, Mean Gene Oakland sees me at a signing one time. He said, well, you know, I was a part of the booking committee. That's what he, that's what he told me, you know? And he said, we, we, we were trying to get a hold of you. Nobody had your number. And I was like, come on, you know, you know, I'm going to call Gene Oakland a liar, but come on. Y'all had gang up there. We talk every day. <laughs> so, uh, but he said he never had my number. So after that, I just went to, like JB said, I just went to uh, focusing on my career of teaching and, pastoring is left it alone all together and now so now what are you doing what is your day it's like you're you're a teacher now but you're also a, a full-time pastor right right mm -hmm. yeah what and church or what church are you with what stuff like that shiloh baptist church 1349 catapa street louisville kentucky 40211 all cards and letters will be welcomed <laughs> and you respond. You respond to the calls, unlike the WCW people, huh? Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I respond. That's right. That's exactly right. Uh -huh. I used to say exactly. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you know, Slick, when my dad retired from banking, he got to be a full-time minister. And I've never seen my dad more happy the last, you know, I guess 15, 20 years of his life because he, he was retired a long time. And he finally got to do what he wanted to do. You know, he loved going, he loved going to the church. He loved preaching. He loved reaching out to people. He'd go to the hospital uh, several times a week just to visit the sick people, you know, that were in church and some of that weren't, whatever, whatever it was. He just loved it. Do you feel the same way now? Like when you're yes. in, in your church? Yes. This is the most rewarding uh, point in my life because the right type of minister makes profound impacts and impression in people's lives. When, when you have a heart for people, you know, there are a lot of crooked guys in the ministry. You know, they, they fleece the sheep. You know, you know, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. They, there's a lot of crooks. It is, you know, a lot of crooks. But when you, when you, when one thing about people, they don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. And you can't hide what's in your heart. And when you have a heart for people, it pours over and it shows. And it impacts people's lives positively. You encourage, you inspire, inspire people. And 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 I don't think there's anything any greater than that. You know, people who, who've been on drugs or people whose marriages have been on the brink, and you counsel and help them turn it around. Now, like you take me, for instance, uh, I'm kind of probably take it to the extreme if we have single mothers in our church 
and they have teenage sons and, and or, or, or 12 and 13 year old sons. See, I go to the school, keep up with their grades, their behavior. And if one gets out of line, he, he comes in here in this office and I put that strap to him. <laughs> and and I've turned three or four of them around right here in this congregation. Yeah. And they love me. They grown me in now. Yeah. Good for That's you. Right. Yeah. That strap will work. I don't care what anybody say. They quit. <laughs> <laughs> I know I had it across me a few times when I was growing up. <laughs> yep. It still works if you use it. <laughs> You know, there's nothing greater than like an, a coach or, or a minister or something that, that's gotten uh, to work with kids and then see them later in life and they got a family, they are married and all that stuff. And you're just thinking you had a part with that. That's got to be so satisfying to see those kids once they become adults and got families and now they're married and they're having their own problems with their own kids and stuff. But you realize you ha had a huge part in their in their future. Taking what you're saying, what you what you're saying now, the ministry has made me a big crybaby. <laughs> Man, I you know, and I see one. It's now I've got one here now. Flunking, suspensions, expulsions, bad name, bad reputation. I took him under my wing, put him through my personal boot camp. Put the strap on him. I go up to the school and do surprise visits. He doesn't know I'm coming. All those type of things. Now that kid's on honor roll. Wow. That's awesome. I just bust out crying sometimes, you know. Because uh, like, like you said earlier, you're blessed. Yes. Your life isn't worth a quarter if you haven't found a way to help somebody. Yeah. The greatest contribution in life is to give to others. You know, everything Jesus did was for others. He was born for others. He lived for others. He died for others. He rose for others. And now he's in heaven making intercession for others. His whole life was about other people. That's the most rewarding thing in the world when you give your life for other people. I don't want to cook, but I mean, you know, I could. <laughs> no, that's awesome. So like I just I've always thought that every kid, as they say, is born with the same potential, but they're not born with the same opportunity. That's right. And people that's like right. you step in and intermediate in these young kids' yeah. lives and you change their lives because they all of a sudden now, sometimes all it takes is an adult saying, you know what, I care enough to put the strap on you. I care enough <laughs> to come down and surprise you at school. I care enough yeah. to tell you, you shouldn't be flunking class. You know, sometimes that's all it takes. Yeah. I like to say this. You've got to turn a vision into a view. See, a vision is imaginary. It didn't happen. It's imaginary, right? But when that's, so that's imagery in your mind, but you got to turn that imagery into an image where it becomes a view then that means that that potential has become reality. And, and disciples aren't born, they're made. You, you see what I'm saying? I was talking to another pastor yesterday evening, and he's talking about discipleship and, 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 and defining discipleship. And he said, well, a disciple is a student. He's a pupil. And so I said, can I give you another perspective to add to your studies you know, with your class? He said, sure. I said, as an educator, I understand that yes, you have students, 
But some students fail. They flunk, they make Fs. So let's go beyond just saying a disciple is a student to saying he's a learner. It's one thing to be a student and another thing to be a learner. <laughs> you, that yeah. makes sense what I'm saying? Makes sense to me. Yeah. yeah. Well, Slick, I thank you so much for yeah. coming on our show. I know it's late at night. You've been working all day, and uh, you took some time out of your uh, out of your busy schedule to come on with me and Mr. Briscoe. And it's a real treat, and it's a real honor for us to be able to, to have you on the show and to hear your story and to hear your witness about what you're doing. It's just incredible. I've always thought a lot of you. I've always enjoyed seeing you. So thank you so much for sp taking the time to come on our show. John, John, wait a minute. I got one thing to say. Sir, would you get him out of here? Would you, you get throw him out? Get him Sorry out. About get him <laughs> Get him out. <laughs> do, do you all have time for me to ask both of you a question? Yes, sir. As big as your names are in history and the history of professional wrestling, how do you handle being as modest and humble as you are, being as famous as both of you are, being so respected by your peers and just legitimate class act guys, how do you go about handling that every day? Mr. Briscoe? Well, I, I, I don't think I'm any of the above there to tell me, you. Me truth. either. I, I, I think that's <laughs> maybe how I handle it. And uh, I just, you know, I, I, I feel like you, when like today I was with MVP and a couple other guys at lunch today, and, and, you know, the respect, and sometimes you say, you know, I don't deserve it. You know, I'm just like everybody else. And I don't, I don't look at myself like that. I hope I don't carry myself like that. Do I appreciate it? I, I'm just above, uh, beyond appreciation. But, you know, you're, uh, we all had the same thing. Mama raised us. You know, mama raised me. And she raised me to be a, give everything I had. And you said something earlier, you know, the greatest the greatest gift that you can give is given to you. My mom always we don't have anything materialistically, but you got something inside of you that you can share. That's the reason I do all these camps and John does all these camps because he has something inside of, of him that he wants to share. He wants to help help them become successful like like he did. And I feel the same way, and I'm sure, I'm sure that's the reason you preach the word of God because you want to share it with you and help other people. And that is the greatest gift you give. There's nothing in, in the world that makes you feel better than help a kid. I got this text message the other day. Uh, first state champion I ever coached here here in Florida. He went on to become a doctor. He he was he's a black African American, a, a second generation American. It's, he was raised by his grandma, split parents, abandoned kid. His grandma took him. She didn't even speak English. She got him through high school and everything like that. And I helped to get him a scholarship. And he got kicked out of the first school he went to. He got kicked out of school. And then he became a chef. Make a long story short, I got a text message the other day. He became a doctor. Mr. Briscoe, I'm at Ada, Oklahoma. I'm volunteering because I knew you'd be proud of me to the Chickasaw Nation Health Clinic down there. I'm doing doing health clinics and he's getting these kids back in school. And he said, I just want to share this with you because I, I knew you'd be proud of man. I, you know, that brought a tear to my eye. You know? Yeah. 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 You know, just know that you helped somebody like that. And now he's repaying you, you know, going back to your nation and, and, you know, volunteering his services to make, make kids better, lives better. There's nothing more appreciative than that. So. John, <laughs> and Slick, I feel the same way. I just, I've never seen myself as anything other than a kid from Sweetwater, Texas. You know, I just, 
I look at you and I see a star. I look at Mr. Briscoe and I see a star. I don't, you know, I don't look at the mirror and see a star. I really, I don't. I remember I was in pencil, uh, I was in Philadelphia and I got to work with Hogan. It may have been the only time, I don't know if I get the only time I got to work with him. I got to, but anyway, I was, I had, I was the champion at the time. And, and I said, what do you want to do, Hulk? He goes, you're the champ. <laughs> I just sat there and I thought, Hulk Hogan just <laughs> said that to me. I was just I was like, oh my goodness, that's the greatest thing ever. I, just, you know, and, and the whole match, I just sat there and looked at him. You know, like I used to look at the Von Erics or I'd look at uh, it, it, all these guys that I grew up watching. I thought, I can't believe I'm out here with Hulk Hogan. You know, it's just, and I still look at guys that way and think, you know, I just, I, I've never thought of myself in that category i've always thought of these guys are stars you, you to me are, are a star slick and but i it's just you know it's just my perspective so that i guess that i guess that's the answer beautiful explanations i appreciate it you know i learned my first lesson in humility about my second week we were in jackson mississippi and hook hit me in the mouth and told from here all the way back down, right? Blood just everywhere. When, when when we got to the back, he rushed right over to see if I was okay. And I said to myself, this is this is the biggest thing. He really doesn't even know me yet, you know. And to come over here to see about me like that. And 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 that taught me a lesson in humility. Don't ever get so big that you become uncaring, you know. And so that's what you guys just expressed. And that's the way I feel together. So we're unanimous. <laughs> we close. Yeah. Hey, hey, I, I tell you, I tell you, I was down in Malawi. It's one of the poorest countries in the world, down in West Africa, just south of Tanzania and north of Zimbabwe. I was working with, with some charities down there. And I'm trying to work with these kids. And and I can't, I can't, uh, I don't speak Chewa, uh, I believe was the language they spoke. And they didn't speak much English, but I'm trying to help them. You know, I've got all these kids out there. None of them had shoes. They probably their entire life, they'll never have shoes. And I'm down there working with him in the middle of nowhere. And finally, one of the kids uh, looked at me and said, you know, Kofi. And I said, Kofi Kingston, I'm in the, I'm in nine, 9% of the country has electricity. 91% of the country does not have electricity, running water, nothing. And I said, Kofi Kingston. And one of the kids goes new day. <laughs> and that, that's how I reached them. You know, it, it was, you know, wrestling has given us this incredible vehicle to reach right. out and reach kids that, you know, otherwise we never would have had a chance to reach. And, and I'm just so uh, thankful for that. You know, I always try to, you know, live up to that, to yeah. the, the benefit that we get from this, but that's what this vehicle has given us. That's why I'm saying, you know, when you were there during the Hogan era and I was there later during the stone cold rock undertaker era, you know, it's so cool because the rest of our life, people will remember that because the ratings were so high. Right. Exactly. Yep. Cause I have people that come here to this church because they, they find out that Slick's in Louisville. <laughs> right. And I, all I have to do to see him is come, go to, go to Shiloh Baptist church. So they come expecting some. <laughs> job daughter. Of, of, yeah. Of, 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 of Slick. And they hear the word and become convicted. You know, it's, it's an amazing thing. Well, thank goodness, Mr. Briscoe, and there he'd throw you out of your own church. Well, that's terrible. Isn't it? <laughs> it's horrible. That, that, that's horrible, man. Thanks. <laughs> I, I tell you, I would be thrilled one Sunday to see him walk through the door and say, "Put him out." <laughs> put him out, Deacon. Deacon, put him out there. <laughs> There's a new reverend in town, man. <laughs> 
Well, hey. Slick, thank you so much, man. You've been a brother forever, you know, and you forgave me right from my first day blunder with you, man, and we've been friends ever since, and I'm proud of that friendship. I'm proud of equally as well. And 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 with JB, JBL has always been nice to me. He was eating breakfast one morning at one of the hotels, and I walked in. He said, hey, Slick, come on over. And I said, well, I don't want to disturb you. You're not going to disturb me. Come on over. You know, that was the first time we ever just had sat down together. And I was a little bit nervous because, you know, I hold him in such high esteem. <laughs> you guys are terrific, man. And I'm, I'm, I'm glad you asked me to come and be on this part, uh, podcast. And I've really enjoyed myself. Well, thank you. If there's ever anything we can do where we're, you know, you know how to reach us down. So thank you so much, Slick. Have a good night. And, and God bless you, man. Thank you so much.